if you're in business and you can really read what people are thinking, feeling, intending, it gives you the upper hand in any communication. Individuals who find their lives inside and outside of work rewarding and fulfilling are generally more successful in the workplace. You cannot save anybody until you put your own life jacket on first. You are your greatest desires because within you, you have the capability to create with your thoughts. Choose the positive route. It's in your hands. Gail Cameron is the founder and managing director of the Image Excellence Group, with more than 25 years' experience as a leadership coach. A fellow of Trinity College London, her book Voice Excellence was published in 1994. Gail also appears in the book Inspirational Women, as well as being a finalist in South Africa's Most Influential Women in Business and Government for 2008, 2014, 2015, and was a finalist in the education and training sector in 2016. An internationally acclaimed speaker, Gail has addressed the IABC's conference in New York in 2008 on authentic African leadership and in San Francisco the following year on the impact of EQ in business. In 2010, Gail addressed business leaders at the International Conference in Toronto on the quantum physics of leadership success, where she was rated 6 out of 67 speakers. In June 2014, Gail addressed the International Conference on Nelson Mandela's Leadership Impact and was awarded the prestigious All-Star Speaker designation from the IABC. Her second book, Authentic African Leadership, was published in November 2013. Gail consults locally and internationally to leaders in the corporate, sport and political spectrum. Have you ever gone through change in your personal life or at work and thought to yourself, there must be a better way to do this? Welcome to On Change, the podcast that explores change that works and the people who make it happen. And now from Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Pietro Dupisani. Today I speak to Gail Cameron. She's the founder and managing director of the Image Excellence Group. It's lovely to have you in the studio, Gail. Welcome. Thank you, Pietro. It's lovely to be here. I'm going to start off with a little bit about yourself. Tell mm. me about yourself. Where did you grow up and what was your family life like? So I grew up on the, the West Rand, the Wild West, large family, and went to local school there. Yeah, very privileged environment, a lot of freedom. And you've ended up being a coach. So even when you were in school, did you care a lot about people then as well? I think there's always been a caring side to me, but I think it's life circumstances that mold you. So it's like a client said to me one day, so what makes a good coach? And I said, the best coaches have the deeper scars. So how could you possibly know if you haven't been there? So I guess I've had some difficult experiences and that's, that's what made me a good coach. You wrote this book called Authentic African Leadership and one of my favorite quotes from that book is that leadership is learned from experience with the greatest lessons emanating from hardship and from the case of Jacob. So do you think that it's only when we have gone through difficult situations or experiences ourselves that we can truly empathize with others and become better leaders? 
Yes, I believe the great lessons in life come from hardship, and it's really only hardship that there are gains of self-development, although most of us are trying very hard to escape it, yeah. escape the very lessons that we've come here to learn, but it really is the moulding influence. So after your schooling and all of that, what did you study? Where did you go to study? So I studied speech and drama through Trinity College London, and when I started off I was quite hard-headed and I just wanted to get a job and get away from home. So my father said, well, you want to work? Well, that's fine. Then you pay for yourself. So I had to support myself. It was a difficult journey, but I learned a great deal. And I learned quite early that I was much better behind the camera than in front of it. So how did you end up in the coaching fields? I mean, when did you know that this was what you were going to do with the rest of your life? So it's, again, life experiences. So having just got divorced, I had two small boys. The youngest was not even a year old. And I had to support them. I had no other means of supporting them. And so I, I realized I'd have to get a job, a real job. And then, you know, I'd started off lecturing at FUBA, the Federated Union of Black Artists. And so I'd had a lot of experience in being a voice and speech coach. And I'd written a book called How to Improve Your Accent. And so I went to the bank and I said, I need a bank loan. I want to get this book published. And the bank manager said, come back with some cash flow projections and budget. And I can remember phoning a friend of mine and saying, how do I do this? I have no idea. And he helped me put it together. They lent me the money. I published the book. And what was overwhelming was, was when the book was published, then people would start calling and saying, I've suffered the same social and professional discrimination. Can you help me? And that's when I realized I, you know, I had a business case. So it started off very much with voice and communication type coaching, uh, but then you evolved from there. So how did that evolution happen? Yes, it was more communication. And then I sort of got into leadership, but I was a very kind of hard nosed, you know, leadership coach. And you were either right or you were wrong. And if you didn't want to sort of get the stuff, you had to get off the bus. And then in 2000, I almost lost my youngest son. He had a brain tumor and basically he was, he was going to die. And a miracle happened. And basically his life was saved. And I can remember that night as he was dying, I basically, in the ICU, I sort of went on my knees and I started praying and I just said, if you let him live, I'll do your work. And then it was the strangest thing because it was very imperceptible how my work changed, but I was not even conscious of how it had shifted. A lot of clients started coming to me then who had serious obstacles in their lives and how could I help them? And then my work moved more into life coaching. I guess that's what it's been over the last 18 years. You've been working in this field for a, quite a long time. You have over 25 years experience as a coach. So what are the major changes that you've seen in this industry over the, that period of time? I think I, I started lecturing at FUBA in 1985. So, and we started the I groups a long before coaching was popular, long before anybody knew what a coach was. And, you know, we sort of started off as a training company, I guess. And of course, now it's become very popular. There's a growing awareness of, you know, what a coach can do for you and so on. But uh, it's definitely evolved over a very long period. I mean, I remember once being called the doyen of the coaching industry. That made me feel like Toby Kushlik, ancient. <laughs> He's dead now, too. <laughs> so been in it for a very long time, but... You know, as I said to a client the other day, what brings me joy is when you work with somebody and you can see the light come on 
in their eyes and they basically grow their pair of wings and they have the confidence to fly off to their purpose. I guess that's what keeps us in the business and that's why we've been in it for so long. In the beginning, what was the major things that you focus on and what are the newer sort of things that you're focusing on at the moment? So it's interesting how the whole business coaching and the coaching concept has evolved. So we started off with voice and speech communication. We did a lot of image consulting in those days. And then the leadership evolved. And then I thought, well, you can look good, sound good, but if you don't command the language, you're not going anywhere either. And I'd come from a second language speaking environment. So then we started doing business English. That became quite a big focus. And then I realized, no, there's, there's definitely another piece missing here. Because, you know, especially when a client had an obstacle, it was impeding them from performing at the optimum. And that's really how emotional intelligence came into it. From emotional intelligence, the communicative arm of that, which is social intelligence, evolved from about 2003. I think that's where it was first observed at a Swedish conference. And then, of course, I realized, well, it's an inside job. It's really about how people are coping with what's going on in their lives, not necessarily their professional skills. And that's really how the life coaching evolved. So it really has, you know, come full circle, I think. That's so interesting. What are some of the biggest transformations you've seen and how has that made you feel? I think some of the biggest transformations have really been about people suddenly waking up to their own potential. I think that's the most rewarding one. The greatest dysfunctionality I've seen in 30 years of being in this business is the lack of self-regard. And I think all of us, to a greater or less extent, suffer from a lack of self-regard. So the greatest transformation will come from when suddenly that person realizes that they actually had it all the time and that the power has been restored into their own hands where it was all along. So I've been reading your book, Authentic African Leadership, which really is a mix between a handbook which shows your coaching philosophy and inspirational South African leaders, their stories. So the first concept I'd like to explore is that of emotional intelligence. There's this quote in the book that says, Today we know that for success at the highest level, emotional intelligence is more important than intellect. And one can acquire these competencies at any age. So how is that possible? How do you acquire emotional intelligence? So the great thing is that very few people know this, but that a South African leads the field globally in emotional intelligence. So Professor Barron did his PhD at Rhodes, and it took him 17 years to develop this instrument, and it's called the Barron EQI. And what emotional intelligence does, it looks at intrapersonal competencies, which is kind of how you know yourself, how you can regulate those emotions. But it also looks at the way in which you can read other people and how you would respond to that. So it's a beautiful instrument. It gives us scientific detail. But the interesting thing about EQ is that 93% of leadership effectiveness is entrenched in emotional intelligence. In fact, technical competency today is regarded as a baseline competence. It will get you the job. It will get the job done. But the biggest difference lies in the way in which you do that job. So therefore, it's different to personality assessments because you can't really shift the personality. It's completely different to IQ because that deals with cognitive elements, but you can develop every aspect of emotional intelligence. And I think that's the great thing. 
But the important thing with developing emotional intelligence is how the emotional intelligent brain learns. So it learns through awareness, uh, dedication, and commitment. So it doesn't learn through a logical linear process. So the best way to do this with clients, although they really kick against it at times, is to video them, put them into role play simulations so that they can see themselves. And especially people who've got these very high processing left brains, you know, like accountants and like engineers, especially <laughs> when they see themselves is when they realize, okay, so perhaps I can tweak this or that. And that's the awareness that precedes change that creates the behavioral change. So do you think that emotional intelligence is a way of communicating that you have to learn? It is a way of communicating. So social intelligence, which is the communicative arm, it entails being able to read accurately what's in front of you. And there are a lot of people who are opaque. They can't interpret what that person is feeling. And that's also because most of us are not present. We're not mindful. So we're in a meeting, but we're actually thinking about yesterday and we're planning the future. You're breathing in oxygen, you're sitting in a chair, but you're not there. So the mindfulness is important to be able to be there, to pick it up, to interpret it, and then respond appropriately is important. The second aspect that is interesting to me is the social intelligence, which Tom Vinceboo in the book describes as listening harder and observing aggressively. So how important is social intelligence and how is it different to emotional intelligence? So social intelligence is the communicative arm of EQ. It's about interpreting and reading accurately and then being able to respond appropriately. So many, many of our clients, they're what we call puzzled. So they can't actually read what is going on there. And a lot of this is learned behavior. So what it's also showing us, the latest research, is that people at the very top end of the bell curve in terms of IQ, it's almost as though that IQ muscle has strengthened at the expense of the EQ muscle. And there's a lot of research that's going on in this area. And people like Dr. Stephen Rosen, who's a theoretical physicist, has done a study on why scientists' careers flounder. Because it's learned behavior. So they're unable to read what is going on and respond appropriately. But of course, one can learn. So the leader in this area in the world is a guy called Professor Paul Ekman. He's developed the micro-expression technique. And you can go online and you can learn, you can sensitize yourself. So everybody at the FBI has to learn micro-expression technique. So just as an example, if you, a U.S. embassy official working in an embassy is filling in an application for a candidate, and he notices a, a fleeting expression that he doesn't like, goes next door, he puts this man's name into the Interpol computer, up comes his name on the most wanted list. What he picked up was a fleeting expression of disgust. So those people are trained in micro-expression technique. So if you're in business and you can really read what people are thinking, feeling, intending, it gives you the upper hand in any communication. So another concept to me that is really, really important, and specifically in my career as well, is the concept of balance. So there was this quote in the book around happiness, and it says that individuals who find their lives inside and outside of work rewarding and fulfilling are generally more successful in the workplace. So I work in a department, a 
the moment where many of us spend a lot of time away from home. And you have to really make a concerted effort to find balance. So do you have any practical tips on how to do this? So the only pathway to success is inside. It is an inside job. And I work with many young professionals who burn out. So it's called the sacrifice syndrome. That's a clinical term. So just as an example of what happens, for example, and why this prevents you from being happy, is that we process information via our senses. So we read the rude emails, we sit in meetings, we can pick up these negative undercurrents. And of course, all of this information, the first stop is into the emotional brain. And here, sophisticated computers start comparing this to past experiences. And if there's no satisfying answer, the amygdala in the emotional brain hits the panic button. And when that structure is alerted, the neurons start firing on the right-hand side. And that is bad news because the bad hormones come into the body and they produce cortisol, which is the stress hormone. And it's the stress hormone that makes all the changes. It raises your blood pressure. It increases your heart rate. And if it's left unchecked over long periods, it can trigger anabolic endorphins in the body, which cause disease. So there's the pathway to destruction and unhappiness. The only way to avert this is to open the pathways to mindfulness. So there's actually three pathways we open. So the first is conscious awareness of self. Heart, mind, body, spirit. And it's answering those big questions like, who am I? So there's a lot of people I coach who have no idea who they are. They have no idea that your thoughts create your life. A gift we've been given is that we can create with our thoughts. Equally, we can dig a big hole and bury ourselves. And that's where the sacrifice syndrome comes in. But you can also use those thoughts. You can change them to a positive frequency. You can change your thoughts, feelings, and intentions. And when you do that, it changes your life. So first of all, go in and find out who you are. And you can do this by looking at exercises about your personal vision. You can look at your future vision. So what is your philosophical orientation? There's nothing new about this stuff. Sophically said, know thyself. So this is a way of excavating and really getting in touch with who you are in a very deep way. Understanding your values is critical. Our greatest conflicts occur when those values are compromised. Why? Because they're not negotiable. Most people don't even know what they are, and they evolve over time. So it's actually quite an easy exercise. And what we'll do is I'll send you some exercises that people can do to excavate and know themselves if they want to explore this further. It's really not complicated. When you've opened mindfulness, it leads to hope. And it is when hope is aroused, it leads to compassion. And compassion is empathy and caring in action. And it starts with the individual. You cannot save anybody until you put your own life jacket on first. So basically, when you work on those three elements, it opens up Neurons begin to fire on the left-hand side of the prefrontal cortex. The good hormones flood the body. You do that over a long period, it leads to feeling excited, optimistic, hopeful, looking forward to the future. So it's really not a complicated process at all. So the last concept I'd like to explore from the book is all around the quantum physics of leadership success. So there's this wonderful quote that you had from Albert Einstein that says, everything is energy and that that's all there is to it. Match the frequency of the reality you want, and you cannot help but get that reality. 
It can be no other way. This is not philosophy. This is physics. So most people believe that we create our own reality. But what does that really mean? We are powerful energetic beings. And the interesting thing is that you can increase your frequency. So the whole map of consciousness has happened. We measure it in microwatts of energy. And there are very low frequency vibrations. So at the very bottom sits shame, which is 20 microwatts. And we can see it in shame cultures where women are banished, stoned to death. Then as you go up the ladder, it's kind of guilt and then grief. We are all plunged to levels of grief at moments of our life, but it's to stay down there is destructive. And then it goes up through fear, anger, and even pride. Pride is a negative. So one of our big banks had it in its strap line a few years ago. They've removed it because they've been exposed to the map of consciousness. And then we get up to courage. And courage is actually the point at which everything moves into power. You know, I've coached some of the greatest leaders in this country, and I've absolutely no doubt in my mind that the leaders who made a difference were in power. They were either courage, neutrality, freedom, love. So it explains why a small, feeble man with a construct of Satyagraha could overturn the British Empire. So Gandhi was completely in power. It explains why a man with love and forgiveness in his heart, despite being in jail for 27 years, could come out of jail and negotiate his country out of a revolution. Mandela was completely in power. These different energetic frequencies have been measured. When you're in the lower frequencies, that's where all the crocodiles are swimming, and that's when life is difficult. People are taking chunks out of you. So the responsibility of life is to increase your consciousness. When you do that, you, to a certain extent, raise the consciousness of everybody around you. So we measure it in laboratories. So just as an example, I bring two people into a laboratory, measure their heart rate, temperature, and they're completely different. We put them together for a 15-minute conversation, measure them again. They were in complete simpatico with one another, beginning to reflect one another's body rhythms. So people catch feelings. The person who adds the strongest seasoning into that is the leader. So therefore being a resonant leader, being positive, catching people doing things right, and believing in people, you create a whole virtuous cycle where reflective parts of the brain open and you will be able to stretch and reach. But your dissonant leaders will obviously have the opposite effect. I'd it's like all you, physics. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like you to tell me a little bit more about resonant leaders. What is a resonant leader? So resonant leaders are positive, they're optimistic, they have a sense of humor. By the way, that's an EQ hallmark. They like people. They catch people doing things right. Dissonant leaders are negative, cynical, abrasive, catch people doing things wrong. And they create environments in which teams crash and burn. But the resonant leader creates environments in which teams catch fire, break the records. And there's, you know, the research for that has happened. It's really quite widely known. In South Africa, we've been going through this massive change of leadership over the last couple of years. And I think had a quite an emotional journey from when we became a new democracy in 1994 to now to going through this last couple of years of state capture and all of that. So what do you think are the leadership qualities we really need right now to take us to the country that we really can be? So I think leadership intelligences that are important right now is first of all vision and that's not just 
that, you know, the platitude that you've seen the thing come before it hits the table and explodes. It's really about thinking big, new and ahead, but it's being able to communicate that vision from a mutually beneficial platform to allow the follower to take ownership. Leadership's about followers. You know, we have this great iconic leader. You know, thank heavens that we had him. That was what he was really, really good at, was Nelson Mandela, was servant leadership. So vision's important. Also, ethics. Most of the effective leaders will align themselves with a set of values quite early in life, and they will navigate unwaveringly by those values. Then also reality. The effective leaders are steeped in the reality of life without fantasy. So they can deal with the hard, harsh, daily numeric parameters as they are. And lastly, I think one of the most important ones is courage. Is having the courage to live for life to its full potential, to go where the pain is. That is a very big one. So there's another quote from the book that I'd like to read, and it's around when you begin to realize that you have no control over polarities and that the only thing one can control is one's attitude, that is when you move from a non-leadership mindset to that of a leadership mindset. And I thought that was quite powerful as well. Yes, and that's actually something that Jacob Labia, who's actually Peter Magaza in the book, what he actually taught me that. And he said, you have no control over the vagaries that are going to come across your desk every day. But what you can control is your attitude. So, and that's such an important one. And again, that comes back to your energy. So if you've got an open-mindedness, a willingness to learn, if you're aware and you want to help other people, it's not just about serving your own needs, really about going out there and helping others. You can change the world. So if anybody out there was looking for coaching or thought that they might be ready for it, how would they know? So the key is self-awareness. We also measure it in terms of emotional intelligence. But without self-awareness, it's very, very difficult to create the change. So if we look at an intentional change journey, and this is a scientific process, you first need to be aware of who you are. And that is knowing where your strengths are. That's equally important because those strengths need to be bolstered. But then also understanding, so where are my growth areas? and then developing a learning agenda from that. But it's got to be done through trusting relationships with your coach and other people who are around you. So that may be a line manager or it may be your partner in your life, but trusting relationships. And then you should get an opportunity to practice it, so in safe environments. And then you get to try it in higher-risk environments, and that's where the new neurons develop, and that's how behavioral change occurs. So it's actually quite a simple process, but the self-awareness is key. So we've sometimes had hostages, people who've been sent there because they're not achieving, for whatever reason, the objectives that company wants. And it's very, very difficult to kind of turn that person around until they begin to realize, well, actually, this is going to contribute to my personal development. And it doesn't matter where I go, what I do, but this can improve my life. And that's when they take ownership. So what is the sort of the best attitude to arrive with at a coaching session? Is to be open-minded. And, you know, just recently I've had a client who came in there who was in a very, very bad space. So one can say that he'd hit rock bottom. So he'd been in the hospitality industry. It's quite a brutal industry because of the hours that they work and so on and his life experiences. But the wonderful thing was that he was ready. 
all I had to do was really just wake him up to his own power and allow him to return to that power. It's just the most humbling experience. It really is beautiful. You now run a successful consulting business. So you've had so many years experience in this field. So if you think about it, how much was hard work? How much was who you know? And how much of this was luck? So right being in the right place at the right time. Well, to come back to physics, it's all energy. So <laughs> I think it's about, I don't think luck really plays a part. I think it is, it really is energy. So it's amazing how myself and my team of coaches, when we've healed aspects of ourselves, how suddenly you get 150 people who want to heal the same thing. So, you know, there's this great energetic realm around us and we don't begin to understand how it works. But, I mean, we've never advertised. So all of our work is word of mouth and it is incredible. We coach people all over the world. So how on earth did that reach that person, you know, in Nigeria? We know in terms of physics, I mean, this is your area, Petri, but it's Bell's theorem of non-locality proved that events on one side of the universe can instantly affect events on the other side of the universe. It's energy. I like that concept a lot. So he's saying if I just realign my energies, I'll be able to get what I want in my career. Yes, definitely. So in preparing for this podcast specifically, what message did you come up with? Something that you really feel people should know about? So I love, you know, Deepak Chopra's quote where he said, who are you? And I'm going to answer that. You are your greatest desires because within you, you have the capability to create with your thoughts. Choose the positive route. It's in your hands. I like that a lot. So tell me, where can people find out more about you and your business? Well, the best way is just to go online at www.haigroup.co.za or obviously they can give us a call. If they're really struggling, they can give us a call. So I'd like to close out with another quote that's from the book Authentic African Leadership. And I can get your closing remarks on this quote. So success isn't a future event. It's a state of mind. It depends on, you know, what you describe as success. But I really think it's not about having more. It's really about your behavior. And we can all, in terms of that behavior, create a positive life for ourselves. And in doing that, I think that's the responsibility is to increase your consciousness because we forget that sometimes when we're negative and in a bad space, that those thoughts travel from you, encoding, communicating eternally. What a scary thought is that? So equally, if it's a good intention, a good thought, a good feeling, it also travels out more positively. That's how we actually will change the world. Thanks for joining me in the studio, Gail. It's been lovely to have you as a guest. Thank you for inviting me. To find out more about Gail Cameron and the IE Group, go to solidgoldstudios.co.za forward slash unchange. Here you will find show notes and links to previous episodes. Remember to subscribe to be notified of new episodes.